Hi everyone, this is an audio warning that this podcast was recorded whilst Storm Eunice and Storm Franklin passed through the UK. You may hear some wind noise in the background. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the miles driven with me miles and hello from me sam is this are you doing a darth vader impression is this is this because you made fun of me okay go on (laughs) in the last podcast miles was doing a lot of umming and ahhing about formula one and there were certain points where he'd be sat here and he'd be saying yes i was just thinking about i was just wondering whether uh, i kept covering his face with his hands so it was it was my it wasn't so much for the for the listeners this time, it was just a dig at Mark for, <laughs> for my entrance. I wonder what you were doing then when I turned to you. So you were clasping your hands around <laughs> your face. Realistically, I'm going to yeah. look like an absolute melon because he's going to have edited out everything he did in the last podcast yes. and nobody would have heard it. And I'm going to really dial up what you just did there. Yeah, so. and, and he knows that I don't listen to him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, obviously, we did our Formula One um, episodes that have now finished that three-parter. We're back to our usual service. And today we're going to cover off a bit of news on the first one, which is going to be the, we put it as the new Ford Focus edition. Basically, Ford did a run out of the Focus ST that existed as an edition model. Uh, Sam's going to cover off um, that vehicle. And then we're going to talk about a few, just actually just a small handful of classics, because like in the first podcast we did, um, sorry about the sound quality of of that one, by the way, Um, in that first podcast i was looking for a car that was zero to tax and i found a couple of things but i had to go for an old diesel and everything else and it was a a point of contention for the podcast now what i was actually really interested is if you buy older than a 40 year older than 40 years old um in the uk it's classed as a historic vehicle and so it's exempt from tax and mot and that got me rubbing my hands together and thinking actually i could um i could not have to pay anything i could just pay for insurance and drive it around. But then you realise how difficult it is to find good 40-year-old vehicles and actually a lot of them are classics and a lot of them are worth a lot of money. So we'll, we'll go into that. But first off, go on, Sam. So this is the, the Ford Focus ST edition. Yeah, so there's a new Focus line in the wings, if you like. So they're just running out. Yes, because I... They're older stock, if you like. But yeah, as with any any decent marketing for any company if you're running out some old stock you make it sound like it's some sort of special something new yeah and then people will buy it so i mean they've done a couple of bits to it there's not there's nothing horrendously new uh we're looking at some new suspension on it what's the suspension uh so it's a new coilover suspension from kw automotive so that's that's just so what you get twin if you tube walked dampers into... which are twin tube. adjustable okay so if you walked into the ford dealer and said i want to buy a focus st edition as standard you're going to get New coilovers. Yep. Uh, they've got some new wheels, 19-inch alloys. And that is, well, I mean, it's not it. They've got, uh, you've got the new Azure Blue paint So you've job. got a paint job to make it stand yeah, out. some okay. black trim. Okay. And then some blue stitching on the inside. So there's a lot of aesthetics things going on. The rest yeah. of it's just suspension. And that is genuinely it. Oh, right. Okay. I don't, I don't want to, Sam and I have talked about this before, about spreadsheet cars, where people just talk about numbers and figures and, that's really not what this podcast and our and the miles driven at all is about. It's about the thrill of driving. And actually, I can't say the thrill of driving. That's an Evo tagline. It's about the enjoyment <laughs> of uh, of driving. And 
being out on the road and you could have 10 horsepower and 1,000 horsepower and whatever else, you, you can have fun at all different ends of the market. But just to clarify, horsepower on this is the same... Yeah, it's the same as, as the, a, right. the standard ST, if you like, with the um, air quotes. How much more was it than a standard ST? Well, I can tell you the price and you can tell me yeah, the price of a standard okay. ST. If Go on. You, well, you tell, well, well, the four, do you know four, the price of a sta- an ST? ST when it came when it was when it arrived yeah. thirty one and a half thousand pounds. Okay, so if we account for it, maybe in sort of thirty one to thirty two. Well, I think that I think it held that price for a little while, but yeah, let's say thirty two. Okay, so for this, you've got some suspension. Yeah, and you've got paint, and you've got some paint, um, and they put some blue stitching in the seats. But no, and they've made the wheels black. No power upgrade. No power you could, upgrade. You could buy a standard one, take it to some of the well established tuners like Mountune who did. And do this for an RS. Not, not a small amount of money, but not a huge amount of money. No, for less than a £1,000, Mountain will give you some more power out of your ST. Yeah, um, and the suspension, I'm assuming, you could get for... You you, you can also bit. do suspension and stuff yeah. with them if you want, or you can go to... Well, you could buy this same set of, um, of coilovers. So I'm assuming you're expecting 33? Yeah, because it's a run-out, I actually would probably expect them to just chuck it all in at the same price as the standard one and sort of say, look, uh, although I know that people look at it as a rare car, but actually, it's not like it's the ultimate of of the focus. It's not like it's no, an RS. I mean, the blue's not that different to other blues that you can get. Okay, so yeah, um, I, so I'd yeah, be it's, sort it's, of 30, 30, it's thirty-five thousand seven hundred eighty-five pounds. Oh, for suspension and paint. Yeah, and blue stitching in oh, the seats. Oh, and wheels. Hmm. I'm, I'm not that impressed. I mean, there, there's a markup on everything they're doing, which obviously yes. you expect, yeah. but it's a significant markup. I mean, I suppose on one aspect, you will get a better driving experience because of the suspension. The reason I should say I'm not that impressed is because the if you're if you've got a big mark, well, if you've got thousands of pounds of markup, I know you've got to focus. Oh, sorry, a forward warranty on those parts, but you could probably take it to your preferred tuner. Yeah, and get them to do those bits. Usually, there's some sort of value prospect to it. Whether it would be that this would hold its money a bit better, I'm not so sure because it's not the RS. No, it's it's, it's unlikely to go down into the the classics route, is it? No, and I know they did say they're not going. They weren't going to do an RS for this generation. Um, interestingly, you can't buy now. I just checked on Ford's website before we came on, and they've dropped the Focus ST from the website entirely. Um, so if you wanted one of these, it will be dealer stock if they have any yeah. left. Uh, I'd imagine because they released this during the chip shortages that there weren't that many to go. So possibly future rarity will help it out. Maybe it will go down as a rare car then just by value of it does there aren't many of them around. The thing is, well, we'll get into You're relying this. on a lot though. If yeah. you're just relying on numbers. Well, I'd say we're going to get into this in a minute. It's not everything that is rare is collectible and good. There are reasons sometimes why stuff is rare. Yeah. That's because it, no one wanted it in the first place. Yeah. Um, I don't know. To me, versus, I suppose if you really were a Ford fan and you were very committed to having the latest and greatest hatchback that they offered, then yeah. But in the market it's in... Well, the, the problem with it is it's... It's got a very on feel all the time with that suspension upgrade. That's a good point. So yeah, that's a good point. If you're comparing price wise, at thirty five, you're comparing it to the likes of the car we mention a lot on this podcast of yeah. Hyundai i30n. Yeah, which, which does as well. and they yeah. have 
more cruising there's, there's not the compromise on one end for the other no. yeah um, I mean, you're comparing it to a GTR, which we've discussed is the all-round car. Yeah. It seems like a lot of money for something that's not offering you as much as you can get from other dealers for yeah. sometimes less. I suppose they're trying to go out to Ford fans. Um, I just think... Because they've got to move with the times, though. I mean, yeah. the, Ford, the Ford fan scene, is it the same as it was? Or well, is it people collecting older stuff now? So Sierra's is an Escort. And, and we know the Fiesta ST is a good car. Yeah. So, and they're still selling that brand new. Uh, if you were to walk into a Ford dealer at the moment, and, and you are a big Ford fan, um, and they do the... In, really interesting, I just want to give Ford a mention here. They do the Cougar as an ST. Okay. And they go rallying with it. Interesting. So the three cars that are in were in the WRC uh, recent championship that just just uh, happened uh, about a month ago, it was the Ford Puma, the Hyundai i i twenty N, and I the, saw one of those the other day. It's and an the interesting GI, car. Yeah, and the GI Yaris. Those were the three competitors. I, I just thought two well, of them fit together. One of them sticks out like a yeah, sore thumb. You, you'd have thought they would have gone for the Fiesta, but they didn't. They they went with the Puma. So that's an interesting. Ford went. Um, but I suppose the Puma's on the Fiesta size chassis. Yeah, it's a larger car, though. I know, it's in, it was an interesting. When I saw the rallying, I was like, oh, yeah, it is a Puma. Uh, you if, know, it was the old, if it was the old one. The, the, the coupe sort of shape, yeah. shape one. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So fair play to them for, for, for giving people yeah, that yeah. option. I actually saw one on the road just the other day. Oh, uh, okay. I, it just completely passed my mind. I didn't even think that we should test one or anything else like that. I just... Just happened to see one, and I thought, <laughs> "Oh yeah, that that was what I was looking at in WRC." When I hear Ford and rallying, my mind just goes to either an S, uh, Fiesta, sorry, or a Focus. I don't, yeah, you know. So fair play to them for that. But yeah, they have the Fiesta ST, the Focus ST, the Ford GT, and the Mustang. That's what Ford currently lists as their performance spec vehicles. They they don't have the Focus in there because they've just released a brand new chassis or a brand new model, if you like. Um, I think the chassis is a bit of a carryover from from the styling. It looks like it's a bit of a carryover, but don't shoot me if I'm wrong. You know, um, well, you might do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the Focus ST model is at the moment not in existence, but they may have some um, stock on the forecourts for for this one. I don't know. Yeah, if you really were a fan of the old Focus ST, and I suppose it keeps with the technology of buttons and. and aspects like that that may be gone into the next focus so yeah. possibly if that was a real selling point um if you owned the previous focus ft wanted to change didn't think it needed any more power because it probably didn't for for, for enjoy from an enjoyment perspective and you're willing to make a little bit of a compromise on uh, ride quality because that would be great along the back roads but you will but lose a little bit when you're driving down the motorway yeah all that in town yeah. sort of uh, feel when you're going along undulations and bumps and potholes and, and whatever else so um, interesting one uh, have we got a sound score for it I'm not willing to give it a high score because of its high price That's which fair. isn't the sound score no well it's it specification acceleration manoeuvrability but you got uh, do, you, do you have to offset that with the price uh, well, to an extent like each car can't be just its own island, but it does have to be graded on what it is because yeah. 
Otherwise, it's a bit unfair to say, yes, this is a great car, but this one's even better, so we'll knock it down. Because if someone's made a great car, it, it, it should yeah, be yeah. seen as so. Um, Give it a 7.5. Interesting. That, that's what was in was oh, the, that was the number in my head. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, well, and was, as you know, we haven't, this isn't pre planned our SAM scores or anything, because if you've listened for long enough, you know we don't pre plan anything, really. Well, one of us doesn't, that's for sure. Yeah, Miles <laughs> never does his homework. <laughs> Um, it turns up, knocks things off the shelves and uh, yeah. starts recording. So on from there, uh, we've got the classics. Yeah. Uh, so this, this is very much a Miles-led section. Yeah, well... Mr. Cheap. Yeah, it is. It, well, <laughs> unfortunately, I, I was starting with Not Mr. Cheap. Mr. Cheap. But, yeah. um, basically, this is a, a case of if you are very interested in vehicles, both from the mechanical, sort of in the shed fixing them doing them up whatever else yourself and driving them we're trying to appeal and, and put a podcast out for you because i think the the criticism a lot of modern vehicles are getting and it's a conversation that sam and i have had many a times is that that there are an ever there's an ever ever moving desire by manufacturers to sort of lock away the opportunity for the home mechanic and on the other side, for people who are interested in modifying their car or tuning their car, they really are built more towards now a stage one, which you go and have it remapped and someone fits an air filter and then um, some people will have exhaust fitted and, and obviously you have an issue now with all the emissions controls and what you can do, what you can't do, what's legal, what's not legal. And so unlike, say, 15 years ago where you could buy a new car um, it still was. It still had a lot of technology that you needed to manage, but the home DIYer could tinker here and there with it. Uh, the more more modern stuff is, is sort of stepping further and further away from that point. And so I thought, well, what's the the antidote to that? And I got to about the nineteen nineties when you, yeah, you can start just to sit, stick a spanner set on some stuff and and fix it yourself. But then I thought, well, actually, if I go back a little bit further, is there a good mix of vehicles for a range of budgets that are over 40 years old because that puts it in the historic bracket. Now, anyone who follows the Miles Driven uh, Instagram page will see some of the photography footwork that I do with classic vehicles and some of the stuff we have up there. And many of those vehicles do actually qualify as historic. Not all of them, but some of them on there you'll find and you'll say, oh, actually, I've didn't even, you've forgotten its existence or if you saw one on the road, you might not be able to immediately identify it. Um, I thought I'd just pick three out that sort of stood that stood out for me. Um, what have you gone with? First one, and it, I don't know, for some people it's going to be like, oh, interesting, because they, they remember them, and a lot of people won't remember them, they'll have to look them up. Um, there's the MGB, which was very popular in the UK, popular in the US as well, Uh Particularly the GT model, which is the one, it's not the non-convertible, the coupe shape. And towards, I'd say, the later years of production, they fitted the vehicle with a V8 engine. So it started life as a Buick uh, V8, and I think it was Jaguar to get their hands on it, I think, over in the UK. And um, it's a bit ubiquitous amongst sort of British cars at the time that have V8s in them. I got the opportunity to drive one of these, and many classic cars I don't fit in, and uh, for for 
just for height reasons. I you know, can't get my leg under the steering wheel or whatever else. And I was quite amazed when the uh, the owner of it, and he said, yeah, yeah, take it for a run, see what you think of it. It's like, yeah, that's fine. I'm not sure. And it didn't have wing mirrors either, which was uh, <laughs> interesting. added to the challenge. It was... I'm assuming just the model you were driving didn't have wing mirrors. Just the model I was driving. As opposed the, to the, the, the car in general. <laughs> the chap that owned it had done an incredible job of... Uh, he'd loved it. He'd owned it for something like 30 years. It, it was very low mileage. It was something like 30,000 miles. So it, it hadn't done um, a huge amount of, uh, of, of road under the wheels in its life. But it really was well kept. And from the first turn of the key, I'd driven there in a much newer, much more modern car. It taken me about 100 miles, so a couple of hours to get there. And you just get used to the sort of cosseted feel of a modern hatchback driving along on a on a large motorway and i was in the countryside started up this v8 and the sense of feeling was immediate for a start starting a car on a key that looked like it was going to open a shed yeah you, you know or was going to snap yeah the sort of thing that you see people <laughs> with a padlock at the gym that sort of yeah. tiny little key or a suitcase you know that tiny little key and it it wouldn't go on the first one just because it was more me than anything. I, I went to twist it and it cranked and I thought, oh, that's not that's not got quite the energy I'm expecting. Let it settle for a second and the second time it fired up. And you, you've got the vibrations. You know, there's, there was no, no, probably not the considerations that happen today of the noise and vibrations. And all these yeah, sort you of haven't got the sound happen. ending, have you? You no. get in a modern car no. between the engine and the... It was turn the engine and a lion roars to life and it really just standing still i was already enjoying myself now i then had to find the handbrake which was jammed under my left thigh because <laughs> i sort of sat on it because it, it the handbrake isn't quite in the middle it's sort of next well sort of right between where the the passenger seat is and the center of the vehicle so got that off realized that because of the way the mgb is designed if you are very long in, long in the leg you can actually, so what you you have to fold yourself in a little bit, but once you're in and you're snug, you can actually operate the pedals. They're quite close together, but you can get yourself going. And just gave it a, a quick manoeuvre just to sort of make sure everything turned okay and there wasn't any odd sounds before we went onto the open road with it. I'm not going to say this thing was fast. It was fast. In the day, it was 0 to 60 in 8 seconds, I believe, which... Well, still reasonable for nowadays to even to, today it's reasonable for, for some of the things you buy nowadays but it felt like it did naught to 60 in half a second it, the, <laughs> well, the, you're, i suppose because you're so low to the ground you're low it's so small a car you're, you're yeah it's a small vehicle compared to what you get today yeah yeah you're low every vibration and movement is trans transmitted through the steering wheel through the seat i knew exactly the road surface i was on and every movement and undulation and dip and lift and the, the going, I mean, obviously we didn't go too hard through th first gear because this is a classic, but once we're in second and we're moving, opening up that V8 was special. And I only say this because I think a lot of people who have driven modern cars and have never really been into the, the classic stuff will say, yeah, well, I've got a V8 and I drive it. And yes, they're, they're very exciting. If you can, if the opportunity comes up for you to get into something that's much older, 
Uh, this was an all aluminium V8 as well at the time, so it was quite modern for its time, but we are talking 40 years ago. <laughs> um, it just lit up the day. And right. you take it along country curves and you're leaning in, leaning this, and, and you just feel so at one that it's almost taking your breath away. You really feel like you are driving. As if I make a mistake, I mean, there's no traction control, ABS, things like that. If I make a mistake, I'm, I, I could be in peril. It's starting to feel like you quite like this car. Ah, oh, it was because the thing is, when I approached it, I've, I've seen other MGBs before that have got the, the regular sort of four cylinder, yeah. um, and a lot of them were the convertible, and unfortunately, many of them were unloved or at least had lived a bit of a. A harder life. Well, I think a lot of them you find in people's garages nowadays, don't you? That's, yes. It's a weekend car. Yeah. I was going to jump in a rain on your parade slightly and say that you're going to put this down in the in the classics that are worth a serious look. Is you know, yeah, getting. But it's going to be a weekend car. It's not something Absolutely. you're going to use every day. Yeah. I mean, there might be people that are still driving them every day. I'm sure there are a few people that drive them every day. Probably on a small distance, maybe on, maybe on a long distance. I don't um, know. On the cr with cross plied tires, it's, it's definitely something you're going to use just to drive to a pub or a car show or, or on Sunday, on Sunday, just, just to enjoy yourself. Saturday. But then again, I think in the summer months, if you had a business meeting fifty miles away, or even what well, if you just wanted to go to a cafe fifty miles away, and you thought, I'm going to take the MGB, would you? I think you would. I think I think. It, I, I think you know, the having having seen the list that you've got now. Yeah, I think you've probably been more likely to take one of the other cars that you've Yes, got but this but... car, um, budget-wise... Oh, obviously it's a lot less. But... Well, it's not a lot less, but it's less. Yeah, It's, it's okay. sort of manageable for someone who is saying, I can have a spare vehicle. The, the, what, I'd, what I'd draw it close to is people that own motorbikes. You you don't buy it. I mean, some, of them, some people buy it as their only vehicle. That's fair yeah. enough. You could have this as your only mode of transport. But you're not but, going to be able to rely on going everywhere all the time. No. Um, if you want something that's fun and you'll tuck away in the garage and you'll use it on dry days or you'll use it in the summer or you'll use it at weekends, you could use this thing all the time. And actually, if you were going on a, a sort of British holiday to a seaside place, this is absolutely the car you would take. Um, I just had so much fun and so much got so much enjoyment out of the experience. And then... After it was all over, and I'd, uh, I will go into the details of the drive in just a second, but I would say after it was all over and pulled it back, got the photography that I needed doing done, I then had to drive back home, and I got into my vehicle, and suddenly felt like I, like I had no feeling whatsoever. <laughs> like I, I, because you, I'd got used to this car, and thought, my goodness, I, I'm not in a you know, a non-sporty hatchback, this thing should give me a lot of feeling. And on the drive here, I would have said to anyone, oh, yeah, it's got a good feel. You've got a good feel through the steering wheel and through, yeah, you can, you know your brake modulation in it. Compared to that, though, it was it was as if I was driving something that was made out of sponge. But in your car, you could drive anywhere for as long as you want. If you had yes. to, if you had to drive to Scotland for some reason tomorrow, you could do it in your car. Well, I did at the, at the yeah. uh, New Year's, yeah. Um, I just, but from an experience point of view, going around a corner is what I'll pick up. So we'd taken the car, gone through second gear, lit up, you know, heartbeats raised, adrenaline's going, and I'm just thinking, this, this 
is something everyone should be able to enjoy. If you're into cars, this really should be something that you can just experience once, if it is just once. And came up to a corner. Now, of course, the dynamics do not match a modern sports car. <laughs> the, there was lean, but it wasn't so much that I was nervous. Well, no, you could expect that from an old car, though. You would. And it, actually, because the V8 that was put into this car was an all-aluminium modern, at the time, very new engine, it doesn't weigh uh, so much that the, the front gets washed out of your hands. It actually still kept the characteristics of a darting turn in. Yeah. And then as you come out the corner, you you know, in a, in a modern vehicle, you get to the point of a you pass the apex and some people just bury their throttle and... You might see a traction light come on here or there. In this, you were the person that was timing that traction, and you really felt like you were driving. I mean, if there had ever been a point where someone had said to me, where do you feel like you're most aware? I'd have said, I was most aware of the road, my surroundings, people who get, you know, you see people distracted on their mobile phones as they're driving or looking at buttons. You're or not going to do that screen. when you're driving that car. I, 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 I wouldn't want to. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, if someone said to me, oh, you could be in a driverless car playing some game that you really enjoy or playing reading amazing. Gammon. Yeah. I'd have been like, <laughs> I would take driving this thing because there was a stress element to it. But That's what you want when you're out for a nice yes. drive. <laughs> but the, the enjoyment just, I mean horsepower and things i don't have those to give you because it was so much fun i didn't think once about the horsepower i knew it let's say the, the 060 was about eight seconds but because you're low down and i think this is where a lot of modern cars have made the, the mistake of chasing a number to try and wow people but actually if you just make people more involved in the experience you don't need to be racing to 16 you know a couple of seconds what you actually need is to be so engaged during the time that you're getting up to speed that you, I mean, I remember the next corner was coming up. I'm moving, you know, getting my heel across to get to the brakes, down a gear before we get there. And the gearbox just felt, it felt like I really was the person changing the gear. Not in some cars, it's such a slushy feeling. Yeah. You sort of just notch it down, you know, well, it just doesn't, doesn't. No, it's nice to get that feeling. I mean, I had it actually on the way here today. It's completely not a classic car, but my car was coming around an adverse cambered corner. Yep, so it's it was quite away from you. Yep. And I was in a bit of a rush to get here because I was a bit late. I wasn't speeding, but I was probably going too quick for my car's grip level. Yeah, okay. Which is yep. notoriously not great on an Astra. Yeah. Um, and the back end did actually step out ever so slightly as I was going around this corner. Yeah. And I haven't felt more awake when tired yes, <laughs> than yes. I did yeah. on the way here today. So I know, I know what you mean when it comes to the driving. And... It's, I think I just struggle to get there with a car. I see what you're saying. If you, I think it's probably because I'm not at the stage where I could afford to have a weekend car. I think I just struggle to get there with wanting to own one. That's fair. Uh, what I would say, but if if that's what cars are, it's personal preference. I'm not, I I can appreciate it's a nice car, and I can appreciate what you're saying. And while you were sitting there telling your story, I was imagining driving the car. And I could almost visualise it in my head what it would be like to be in the car, the, the feeling, the sound and all that. Yeah. I just don't know whether for me I'd get there. But that's probably because I've seen what the next car on the list is. Yeah, you're more excited so. to talk about that. <laughs> um, what I would say, if, if we're looking at downsides of something like a classic like this, I was very aware that if something, if something bad happened, 
the crumple zone was going to be me. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there, there the, is the thing that stops the engine going any further in the car is it, not the the bulkhead. It's no, my legs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, it was very cramped. I mean, I know I'm very tall, but. Well, you it, don't mention it enough, though. Well, I try not to. You might as well call this the Miles Driven 6 for 8 <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah. Um, but I was squeezed into the car. I mean, you would have been squeezed into it. The, the chap who owned it was about 6 foot, and he was squeezed into it. So um, Yeah, well, people just weren't that tall. No, and they also were, weren't that considered. You know, if you, if, like Italian cars were, and, every, and yeah. uh, all European vehicles at the time, they were building them, the vehicle first, and then you got in it. They weren't yeah. thinking about, well, there's a driver and we'll build the car around them. It was, let's build a beautiful vehicle that has our stamp on it and then let's make it drive well and put a seat somewhere inside. Yeah. And the the other thing to re-mention here is that when you're turning, especially modern electric power steering systems, um, you, you there is a disconnect. Some manufacturers do it better than others, but to be in a car again where... As I turn, it was if I turned the wheel an inch, an inch more, two inches more, I could feel every incremental change, and I got feedback through the wheel, through the back of the car, through the seat, yeah. through the shaking and the vibrations. If you get the opportunity, I would I'd really suggest try and try and get out there in something like this. And if you can't afford, the V eight ones are expensive. I think this one. Uh, in the end sold for around £25,000. If you're saying, well, that would be way out of my budget, you could go for the uh, non-V8 MGB. Uh, they did it in both a convertible and a GT, which is a four-cylinder engine. Um, Sam will just have a quick look on Australia now just to tell me what the prices are. But I think you could pick up a project for a few thousand pounds, maybe maybe as cheap as two or 3000 But that would be, I want to make that very clear, that would be a project you would have to be spending money to get that up to scratch and it probably won't be the sort of car you can enjoy straight away something that you could have you got anything there something you yeah, could I mean, sort of jump in tomorrow and drive starting jump in tomorrow and drive yeah i mean i've got a a ropey looking 1979 v yeah but it's got 99,000 miles on it which i well, think for that sort of car is quite a lot well yeah but think about how old it is what what's the price on it 48 so just shy of five thousand, and but a bit of a the rest, one. the rest of them are all hovering between seven and a half to, well, obviously you can go up to anything, but I'd say seven and a half and nine, uh, in that sort of fifteen hundred pound price if, bracket. If, if you're out there and uh, you're thinking to yourself, I've got a daily, yeah, maybe you've got a company car, maybe you've got a car that you share with a partner, or just as a commuter car, or because of the recent restrictions that have happened over the last few years, you now work from home all the time, and you don't really need. A mode of transport because you have something else that can do that but you are looking for something to have a bit of fun in go and test drive one the, you know the, the the classic car scene is actually quite a welcoming car scene when you turn up to places and you say i'm not sure if i'm even interested but i heard it on a podcast and i just thought i'd come and have a look and see if it's a bit of me or not you, you'll find a, a, a friendly welcome to these sort of cars so if you've got the money for the v8 though i would i would check it out because it just to to be going as quickly as I felt I was, and I genuinely think at all times I was not troubling the speed limit, I felt <laughs> like I was foot to the floor almost constantly because even at half throttle, the noise, the vibrations, the movement, the, the how the chassis is, is twisting slightly and turning underneath you, and as, as you move the wheels and, and just 
ease on a bit of steering lock as you go around a tighter hairpin, how you feel the whole thing turn around you. And if you want to get a little bit of slide, it's your right foot that controls that. Um, that's an experience worth paying for if you have the budget. But if not, I think you could have seven, eight tenths of that fun in, in one of the slower ones. If you were looking to get in the new Ford Focus ST edition, though, oh, yes. you could reconsider. And for the exact same price, you could get a 1963 MG MGB FIA rally spec. Nice. Is it is it a Ford? They haven't done too many modifications to it. Then obviously for the rally, no, it's, got, it's but... got the roll cage and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. It's only thirty five thousand pounds. Jump on it. <laughs> Do you know the other thing I want to say about this? You brought that Ford Focus that you mentioned earlier, and in three years it'll probably be worth twenty five grand, and maybe after that it'll go up in price because it's rare. But yeah. maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be worth ten grand after that, and it will just keep losing money. Possibly. Classic cars, and I'm not making any guarantees here. Don't buy any car ever thinking that you're going to be able to retain. Uh, value will make money but classic cars generally do, have done their depreciating and if they're if they're five grand today they're likely to be five grand tomorrow if they're 10 grand today they're likely to be 10 grand tomorrow and let's not forget that the ropier ones as the years go by end up being cannibalized for parts for the good ones and so the number reduces and reduces and reduces until there's not that many left and as i say that can be for one of two reasons but if people want them and there's not many left economics, supply and demand, it, it, you know, it'll, it'll be holding its money. You will spend a lot of money on a classic car compared to something more modern because they just need more attention. But the reward, it, it shouldn't be, don't look at it as financial. I'm just sort of saying that if we're talking about losing money on cars, for the experience, check out something that's got something, you know, that MGB experience, that MGB GT experience. It, it, changed, it really changed my mind before that, Having driven a couple of them and they were in a bit ropey shape and I just thought, I don't really see the uh, the intoxication that some people have around these cars. And then having, having to go in a very nice one with a V8 engine, I, I it, all, it all clicked on that very nice um, late summer's day that I, that, uh, I took that one out in. Right, before Miles starts writing a novel and doing an oil painting about an MG, yeah. we're going to move <laughs> on to another car before everyone falls asleep and Miles drifts off into a stupor of dreaming. It's going to be like so, that. You know those late night radio shows where it's like NPR in America and it's just a man yeah. reading a story softly. Yeah, but he's talking about a story that everybody's interested in at the beginning and then he's gone so and far into it. It's like, yes. how are you still talking about this one subject? Yes. Um, next on the list, Porsche 911. It had to come on the list because it, it it's one of those cars where I think Sam was saying earlier, could you have this every day? Could you drive it every day? I think you could. In a Porsche 911, I think you could drive it every day, all, all year round. Whether you'd want to is another thing, because the, the really the, the pinnacle of enjoyment on some of the classic 911s is... say, so which one are we talking about here? So, we'll, start, we'll start with the, with the three-litre one that I've got listed here. Um, so, this is the 911. Um, there was there's some images of an 89 model on the, on the miles driven. Uh, that's obviously not going to be tax an MOT exempt because it's only uh, 32 years old but um, what have you got there Sam sorry what are you looking at what age uh, 1989 oh, so the same sort of age yeah um, nice and cheap though how much is it 109,000 yeah so if you're looking for a, a 3 litre um, this is a 3.3 yeah so this is where you, you've got to be a bit careful and selective depending on budget 
don't worry, we will come back down after this, but I thought I'd pick out one just in case you're sort of saying, well, I've got a bit of budget. Uh, what else is there out there? Um, the three litre nine eleven. I don't think it will. I don't think there'll be one that's going to fit you into the to the no MOT no tax. But it's not going to be too far away. In fact, what what you want to look at there? Eighty one. Oh, actually, no. Sorry, yeah, there are a few. Uh, so there's eighty one turbo models. I'll come on to that in just a second. Three litres you can pick up for about thirty five thousand pounds. How to drive in an eighty nine um, Porsche nine eleven Carrera. And I think that the, if you buy a 911 that was built between sort of late 80s and the late 90s, you will get that crossover point of what we would consider classic today and more modern vehicles. Ooh, would you not go up to the 996 though? No, because I think once, classic. You, once you're in 996, uh, there is technology, there is all the, the safety stuff yeah, that you want. the best one. I know you love the 996, <laughs> Sam, yeah, but it's... And it's only 70 grand. What are you looking at, Turbo? Uh, turbo S. Tur turbo S? Yeah, Turbo and S, 69 grand, okay. 30,000 miles. Yeah. Um, oh, you want to look at a GT2 one, though, is that? That would be, uh, that'd be where the budget gets blown. Um, the, what I was going to say was, the late 80s to the late 90s, that era of 9-11, or mid-80s to the late 90s, it's the crossover point between where cars got a lot of technology and started to feel heavier and bigger and need um, a little bit more attention outside of what you can do at home. And the classics beforehand, where you could maintain them at home, but there was a high probability of having problems or having money pits or anything else like that. And also having cars that don't have any of the gizmos that you you may like just like having traction control is nice to have um, even if you can switch it off with a button and having uh, abs th these are things really uh, i think really everyone would prefer to have abs um, unless you're a formula one driver and you can really modulate the brakes but or mad <laughs> yes yes um so there's that era there and, and again driving that one so what i would one of the key areas I'd point out is you've got much thicker tyres on this era of vehicle and the suspension is nowhere near as stiff as some modern cars. And so actually, when you do take a twisty section of corners, for what it, for one reason or another, A, you feel like you're going a bit quicker, B, you actually go a bit slower. And so for most people, they're within their driving ability. The biggest issue for a lot of people is you get in a 500 horsepower car and realise immediately that your driving ability and the car's ability are a total mismatch. And really, you need to go and step back down to be able to enjoy it. You, know, you need to go to something that's more like 250, 300 horsepower. Because let's face it, most people are not racing drivers or people that go and enjoy track days. They just like to have something nice on the driveway and enjoy it on their weekends, this, that and the other. If you have a car that's a lot more capable than you are, you really aren't having fun that much uh, because the car is really just projecting you like a missile everywhere you go and you're a bit nervous for your license and there isn't a lot of fun. I've never found it fun just to put my foot on the throttle and go. It, it has, a, it has a, a nice feeling the first or second time you did it. I remember driving a GTR and uh, it was when they just launched, 2009, 2010, and 
Yeah, it was. I mean, what a what a. I think I told you about this before, Sam. You know, what a turn of speed. But it felt like going down a runway. You know, I just was. I had to get a nice wide open bit of um, bit of road to to really push it. And if I wanted to push it any further, we needed to go to a track or to a runway. So what you're in on this era of, let's say, Porsche 911, you could go into the ni- uh, to the early 2000s if you want to go 996. They are an underappreciated 911. And if you've got, say, a budget of 10 to 12,000, you can get into 996s, whereas you probably can't anymore get into the older Porsches because they've become collectors and everything else. But if you do have that, sort of notch up of a budget and you're looking around the 30, 40,000. This era of 9-11, so 85 to late 90s, you're going to have an experience there and you are going to be in control of that car and you're going to feel like you're going quicker than you are a lot of the time. But you're also going to be able to get on a motorway, sit at whatever whatever the speed limit is in your country and just cruise along without having what would have been the downside of the MGB um, GT, which would have been constant worry of never making it to wherever you're trying to get to. Yeah, sort of the the getting out and feeling like your whole body's still vibrating. The the, the Porsche isn't going to do that. Now, if you've got a lot of money to spend, uh, an eighty one Turbo S, um, I'd found for one hundred and thirty thousand pounds. Now, just small change. It's it's that's a you know big collector's car, and this is the sort of thing that yeah. I think at that point you've got to be either a massive enthusiast or you've got to be into the sort of the budget where your your weekend car is half of the value of some people's homes. Yeah, I think that the big because, thing... So it's just like for that much money, you're going to buy, I don't know, a Range Rover, Mercedes S-Class. Mm-hmm. You're going to buy be able to buy all of your reliable, comfortable, got everything on it. Yeah, I mean, not many people are going to buy a an eighty one Turbo S as a as a two car garage sort of thing. They, there's going to be yeah. I've got an S class to drive around, or I've got whatever to drive Range Rover to drive around every day. Um, this is for the weekend. I've got a sort of sporty car that I can enjoy whenever I want, and this is something that because you again, I think you'd have a lot more fun. And oh no, I don't deny that. It's just I think it's obviously out of reach for a lot of people, but you know it doesn't have yeah, to, dream. Trying to talk about dreaming, yeah, yeah. does it? So. And we're trying to cater, you know. So we've done the sort of MGB. You can pick up for five grand. You could pick up a, G, a V8 for twenty five. If you're up on the budget of that, you can go into a nine eleven with a uh, like a Carrera models. If you really want to go top end, then you, you are going to be looking. You know, I know some people might sit here and think, I wonder how much a turbo is. Well, I'm telling you, it was one hundred thirty thousand pounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, if for for an eighty one, because that keeps us. Uh, no tax, no MOT, um, but I don't think you're going to be saving a lot if you go uh, too much newer than that. Obviously, Sam, what was that nine nine six? Nine nine six was seventy. So, depends on what you want, what you look. The nine nine six is a going to be a lot faster and a lot more capable, but you're going to have to push that eighty one nine eleven turbo a lot harder. You probably have to push it quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not an old Porsche. Porsches are last road. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Oh, they will, yeah. Yeah. Um I'm sure there's no history of people having problems with them at all. No, Porsches. I, there was a story about an old... Uh, a, a, there was an old story. It was on the Pistonheads forum, and it was a guy who used to run parts across Europe as they were needed. I think it was for aircraft. And he had... He was an engineer, and he had a 911, 996, Carrera 4. Not 4S, just Carrera oh. 4. And but he had a hundred and ninety-five thousand miles on it. 
he said the majority of those miles were done at over 100 miles an hour going <laughs> across the continent in the middle of the night to get the part where it needed to be on time and that was what he did for you know, and so he made Not bad for a company car but he he bought the car himself knowing that what car actually could sit at yeah at three figures and you know, I'm going to be high mileage in, but it's not going to have fallen in half. Well, it was it was the a Porsche. So, anyway, moving on. Because I, have you been? Have you had a going a Land Rover Defender? Well, I have, and my yeah. other half is having it as her wedding car. Yes, she is. So, yeah. So the, obviously, one of, our, one of our friends is kindly, yeah. kindly being chauffeur for the day. Yeah. And uh, bringing his, and he's actually his family have got, so he's got one. His sister's got one, and his dad's got one of the original Range Rovers. Yeah, so, so they're the, very much a Land Rover family. I was going to pick up um, original Range Rover in this conversation because I, being me, wanted to look at, oh, I wonder what Range Rovers are, are looking at these days and uh, older Range Rovers. A lot, I imagine. Uh, they're not. Well, it depends on what state of repair you want them in. If I wanted them <laughs> in the state of repair where I say, mate, I've just left something on your driveway yeah. and I'll be brown with a set of spanners to fix it. But actually, you could buy some V8s that needed work uh, on the old... A, you know, this is the original yeah. uh, Range Rover that, that weren't particularly expensive actually on some of the auction sites where no doubt when I got there it would have been rusted in half but sticking with the Defender for a moment so I did some off-roading last year in a Defender The uh, we're not talking about the new one by the way because obviously we're, we're covering off classics at the minute so everything we're talking about here is your sort of Series 1 Series yeah. 2 the, the, the original up to when did they stop production? Two thousand and fifteen. I don't know, off the top of my head. Um, but every, that that shape, you'll know the one in, in your head. That sort of classic boxy just, uh, defender that the Queen drives, and yeah. there's pictures of the Queen driving her defender. Um, that, considering you can now buy that as a as a historic vehicle, uh, if it's not lived its entire life on a farm or it's had an owner that has at least dealt with the horrendous chassis rot it would have had if it has lived the last 40 years on a farm <laughs> um i think that would be a brilliant car that you could use every day you would be going slowly okay because unless you get a v8 on one of the much newer ones that they made there really isn't you know they've obviously got diesel ones which will go okay but when we're talking about modern traffic if you're I mean, buying my friends isn't slow what year is it Oh, you put me to the test. Roughly? I don't know. Is it a 2000s? It's got a nice plate on it, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'd, I'd say 90s, but he may correct me on that when he listens to this. And what, what engine is it? Uh, he put in a different engine. Diesel? Yes. Think from a Discovery. TD5? Potentially. Okay. He I'm has sure. told me, but I've forgotten. It's not that I wasn't listening to you, mate. I just... <laughs> I've forgotten. I'm sure when he listens to this podcast, he'll be thinking, well, no. Sam's not my oh, friend. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a defender. Yeah. He hasn't got <laughs> <this entrance. laughs> um, anyway, the, they, yeah, so the defender started yeah, no, out. I, I see where you're coming from. It's not, it's not you're not going to be racing anybody. I either. took out one of the very old ones years ago. Um, we're talking one that was, at the time, it was an 80s, it was in the 80s bracket. And I was foot to the floor to accelerate enough to not disturb the traffic around me. But you have to remember that Defenders, when, especially when they first were made, they were made originally with a 1.6 petrol, had 50 horsepower, I think 70 foot-pound of torque off the top of my head, because they were made as an agricultural, industrial 
sort of do a job vehicle. And then as time went on, obviously used by the military, they would they found a, a success commercially, and then they found a success to a, to an extent that the new defender is really um, capitalised on, which is that people want to own them. People really, really want. Have you to seen own they've them. got they've done an edition of the new defender now with the agricultural paint job, if you like. Oh, so right. you got you know the box bit at the back. Mm. That's so you get that in white, and everything else is the sort of greeny, the pastely green that you'd expect a defender to be. I think uh, anyone that that's listening to this, I, I don't know what it's at. I think it's like farm spec, but it's not farm spec. Anyone that's listening to this uh, who has ever watched uh, Harry's Harry's Garage on YouTube, he used to own uh, Evo magazine in the UK. Um, you may be familiar with him, so he has on loan at the moment on he's also got a harry's farm channel but he covered off the new defender recently and he has a essentially a farm spec uh, one and he did a review only a couple of months ago on, on the new defender but as a commercial and he sort of said what his gripes were and what he liked about it and everything else and he has it in this sort of odd metallic it's, it's a metallic color but he, he said he's never washed it because it's a farm vehicle and it, it still looked Okay, and it's that sort of greeny yeah. type. But, so yeah, depending on what... Uh, yeah, it's unfair for me to call them all slow because, as I said, Defenders, depending on what year you have, what you've done to it and everything else. But certainly, if we look at the... Well, I'll just For all Defender owners listening, I'm just going to talk about the very, very early ones first off. Um, this is, It's not going to be a quick vehicle, but something that you could pedal all the time and never trouble a speed limit, and actually enjoy just really going for it. Now, my issues with a Defender, if you're tall, despite them being a big vehicle, they're, then they're a cramped feel inside. Yeah, a very cramped feel inside. I think um, I'm on the limit of what would be comfortable. Yes, I think I think that's fair. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're not, I mean, I think everybody, anybody that's got one would admit they're not the most comfortable cars. No, I think they. Well, they're saying that my mate did just take his on the NC five hundred. I don't blame him. Um, no, he said he had a great time. His friend had again. a Hilux, a brand new Hilux, and he had the Defender. And some of the pictures they were sending were there. You yeah, know, they've driven off the road and they've driven like up a up a up a rock. Yeah, and they're taking pictures of their cars. I mean, it looked looked like great fun. When we've got the channel up and going, we'll have to um, feature this Defender. We can sort of put it on the channel yeah, and show I'm what sure it was. And be happy. Yeah, to and, and what to what's been done to it and. I mean, it's just so people can... Because people do love the Defenders. Okay, well, we're going to come and do an interview with you about yes. the car. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, I the one I took off-roading uh, was diesel. And I remember we were sort of driving off, driving off, and it was the previously been, years and years and years ago, one of the areas that Land Rover used for testing. Oh, okay. And now it's a, an off-road course that you can do uh, in Buckinghamshire. Now, I had... Again, I want to. I'm going to refer it back to that MGB I'm talking about. Modern cars have a have a do a great job of cosseting us, letting us just sit there, relaxed, listen to the radio, and just cruise along. But what that uh, and, I, and they're trying to put in more and more safety features because unfortunately, what's doing what's happening is if you blunt someone by making them relaxed and feeling easygoing and blah blah, you then have to give a huge amount of leeway for them to become very alert in that mg uh, mgb i was very alert for every single second i was in it the land right the defender 
from the second we got going, I was driving a vehicle. Yeah. And I was just alert to everything I was doing. And as we went on to the off-road course and started getting up huge angles, and the mechanical feeling was just... If you, I I'd just completely forgotten about it because I haven't done something with such a, a mechanical object for so yeah. long, and I could suddenly it all just flowed back to me, and I realised I, I really understand now why people love these vehicles because I'm driving it, I'm in control, and I really am. If I want to select low range, I, you know, if I want to put it in this gear and hold this gear, there's no automatic that's gonna, you know, override me. There's no modern engine that will just save me if i you know, yeah. go up this hill a bit too slowly i've got to manage everything and it, it was it was a fantastic experience actually and, and one that straight after i got out of it i was like i'm gonna come back and do this again because it was it was sort of the end of summer and so there weren't the there was there was some ruts and things like that you know where we're going for the stag do now <laughs> yes yeah it's just gonna be doing laps of that place yeah um as a classic vehicle though to own you could buy one of those 40 years old, um, I think many of them will need some work doing because of the life they were likely to have lived. And you're going to be a bit willing to do some mechanical stuff, especially because you may want to go for a newer engine, for example. Well, I know that they're reasonably easy to work on, though. Does, for say, example, my friend, he's, he's needed some work to pass its MOT because the chassis had been slightly bent in an accident that the car had had. Okay. But they literally took the body off, took the box off the back, took the rest of the body off, and then straight into rolled it into their garage. Yeah. And then they cut away any parts that needed to be cut away, re welded some metal, yeah. on, sanded it down, painted it, bish bash bosh. Oh, you, go. you wouldn't be able to do that necessarily with a car that you've got outside. Well, even Land Rover, Land Rover stopped doing body on chassis with the, uh, so the, the Range Rover Sport, the original ones, they were body on chassis so you, to do a cam belt job you can actually remove yeah you we were talking about this the other day and just lift it on the ramp and there it is there's the the engine in the um the chassis uh the l322 though which was the range rover of that time so 02 to 2012 is not and all the modern ones uh, after that are not either as say well, obviously the defender continues companies don't want you to work on a car nowadays do they because well, there's also there's the there's the problem of and safety yes yeah. <laughs> well that design does lend itself to being able to easy to be worked on you know you can build them rugged you can build them heavy and if you're talking about what a farmer needs it's very different to what a person who's going to drive around london in it needs oh yeah um and this is why the new defender has been such a success because it looks agricultural and it looks like it could go and start a war path somewhere yeah and but probably can it probably well it probably could but it, it's going but to be used also you could drive it down mayfair which is where they all are yeah <laughs> um and you know in parts and people who live in the countryside who've got to drive on a damp day yeah they'll, they'll go and buy a, a diesel or a petrol one or yeah. I, don't think, I don't think they'll sell that many v8 ones but the, the sort of mid-spec they're, they're quite a lot of money for what they are you have this look about it and you get a feel for if there's ever a traffic jam. You know, have you ever had that thing you've been in, as I said, like a Defender or a big off-roader and you're in a big traffic jam and you just look across at the field next to you. You're on the motorway <laughs> and you just think, I reckon. <laughs> you know, um, there's something to be said for being above traffic. Yes. In a, even if you can't get away from it in just the field. The, the, the feeling of 
I know I could get out of this if I want to. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to wait with the traffic because it would be very irresponsible for me to go and go up this Yeah, and this the verge. farmer won't be happy when you're driving across his field. No, when he's just yeah, just taking out his crops yeah. and chasing <laughs> you with a shotgun, yeah. Um, anyway, that that's the end of... I, I wanted to pick out a few sort of what I would refer to as old gold. Um, any of those I think you'd have a great experience in. Hopefully we've catered for different budgets because the Defender, the old one, you could buy one for £100,000 at the minute if you wanted the, the top end V8, yeah. newest ones. You could buy one that was broken in a farmer's shed that he's just desperate to get rid of and rebuild it for probably a few thousand. So Yeah, I think I'll speak to I'll speak to my friend and we could, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll say, we could we'll go over it and we could maybe do a, a feature on it for the YouTube and maybe yeah. that could be one of our one of our first videos to put up. By all means, um, people who are interested in Land Rovers, you know, let us know if you'd be interested. We'll, we'll probably do it anyway, but um, it, it would just give us a good bit of feedback to say, oh, actually, people are... Yeah, because we'll be able to put a face to the name as well. Yeah, exactly. These people that are droning on at you every week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, that and the other. Um, and if, uh, say, if, if you're out there and you think, oh, actually, I've got a car that's a bit interesting, by all means, just let us know because it might be something that we can't get our hands on immediately and, and we'll come and check it out and do a bit of a feature on it. And to be honest, Sam and I are very much the type of people that just like talking to people about cars. So if you've got something and you just want to have a bit of a chat about it, let us know. Drop us a message on Facebook or Instagram and Sam and I will, will make sure we message you back. Um, that's it for this one, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're good. I hope you've enjoyed it, everyone, and we shall catch you in the next one. See you soon.